0: Our sponsor today is GLSA. For those non-members who may be dropping in on the call today, GLSA, or Group Legal Services Association, it's an affiliate of the American Bar Association, a professional membership organization representing the legal services plan industry and provider attorneys. And joining GLSA is just a good way for solos and small firms to increase their business. Check it out at glsaonline.org. Okay, my name is Tom Martin. I'll be your host today. Our teleconference is agile and lean approach, the agile and lean approach to the practice of law with john grant. And I'm very excited to introduce him today. Um, Our guest john grant or john e grant, because like me, it's a common name. So john e grant (laughs) is an expert in uh, helping lawyers harness their harness change for the better. Uh, john is a graduate of Tufts University and Lewis and Clark Law School. He's worked for uh, an assortment of great companies, uh, Microsoft, Meltzer Grant Consulting, as an adjunct instructor with Portland State University. He's also the chair of the Oregon State Bar Innovation Committee. He's currently the founder of uh, Agile Professionals and the co-founder of Start Here HQ. Uh, And he is an expert in legal process improvement and technology consulting. So John, it's a pleasure and honor to have you on the show. how are you doing today?
1: I'm I'm great. And and thank you for having me. And I I, I want to make like two quick corrections just right out of the shoot. And one of them is that uh you said we're gonna talk about the lean and agile approach. Uh and I'm always pretty careful to say that I I like to present an agile approach or a lean approach. And and for me, right, and not to get right maybe diving right into the details, <laughs> um, you know, for for me it's about it's more about mindset um than it is about dogma and i think understanding you know that that agile and lean and design thinking and lean startup um you know all of which are things that i love to talk about that maybe a lot of lawyers haven't heard of or or don't know that much about um but they all bring really good and useful tools to the toolbox of problem solving right which is what lawyers are best at and so you know, I, I try to be really careful about saying, look, you know, I, I have uh, I have some tools. I've maybe studied some tools differently, both by ah. virtue of um, and I apologize. I have a new puppy <laughs> and <laughs> my wife is painting. I'm working in my home office. My wife is painting upstairs. So uh, I have to keep the puppy occupied for a little while. Uh, no so worries. hopefully he won't yap too much. Uh um, No worries but uh you know by by virtue of having worked in the the business world and specifically in the software industry uh you know they they have a very different approach to problem solving than lawyers learn in law school and and it's you know been interesting for me over my life and my career to be able to um compare and contrast and sort of build a a, a toolbox or a library of different um tools and methodologies that can work well in different situations and then of course the trick is figuring out what tool is going to work best in the situation that you're in
0: right and i i completely understand thank you for the clarification because i know that um you know sometimes we 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 tend to think in categories and box things in but i think the important thing about our conversation today is to keep an open mind and that's exactly what you're providing as you know new insight as to how to do this. Um, but before we get into the details, uh, <laughs> how's it how's it like in Portland? That's where you're located right? Where you're oh based it's gorgeous.
1: we're we're We are having what is likely to be our last summer day of the year in Portland. It's supposed to be about eighty five and sunny, and then uh, the 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 rain will come, and it won't come permanently, but it will start coming a whole lot more often <laughs> for the next few months. So, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're enjoying it. It's, it's gorgeous here.
0: Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. It sounds a lot like, uh, like Vancouver where I'm calling out of, right. Um, yep. We got to hold on to those sunny days while we have them.
1: Yeah, you bet. You, yeah, you, you're, you're very familiar with the, the, the particular flow of ebb and flow of, of activity with the seasons and, you know, when we've got such sort of rainy extremes.
0: Yep. Um, so again thank you for uh making time for us this morning i've heard such great things about you and i'd like to get into the details but first i want to learn a little bit more about you um okay like where did you grow up in portland
1: Uh, i didn't so uh i grew up in um the town of bakersfield california um right which is a a, an interesting part of the state because it's not you know it is very californian but it's uh it's very agricultural and sort of industrial there's there's a lot of um a, a pretty robust minerals industry. So you know, I, I was I was exposed to some things. Although um, it, it's also true that I come, uh, particularly on my mom's side, I come from a family of lawyers, and so I've kind of grown up. My uh, my great great grandfather was actually an ABA president. Um, wow. He was, uh, you know, in in terms of of true sort of pioneers and, and innovators, uh, he was one of the first people to understand that. Uh, in in the 1920s and 30s, that uh, the entertainment industry needed a different type of lawyer than maybe previously existed, and you know ho- Hollywood specifically. So uh, he made a career for himself uh, on the backs of really fun clients like Shirley Temple and Charlie Chaplin and Walt Disney and Howard Hughes. So uh, you know it, it's there's some really exciting stuff in that family history, and and he was very successful and very innovative uh, in the way that he um you know l- looked at this sort of new body of of clients and you know people that he was interested in and and problems that he was interested in helping solve and really built a practice around um around those specific needs right and 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 it was a a combination of uh, a lot of contracts and and intellectual property licensing and um, you know, specific deals around specific ventures. But then also uh, it was a little bit of uh, maybe how to get a quickie divorce in Nevada back in the day right. <laughs> and, uh, and some other things. So, you know, the, the, um, you know, al- although um, you know, it's I'm uh, uh, fourth generation, there's a lot of sort of and experience. And then obviously because he was so successful, he inspired a lot of his, Progeny and and future generations to pursue a career in the law as well, um, which of course meant that you know when I went to college I wanted nothing to do with being a lawyer I I um, I had no intention of going to law school and in fact I did work as I said before in the software industry for about ten years uh, before I eventually um, really kind of got a, a, attracted by the education more than anything and and the the tool set and the learning and the ways of thinking and, you know, all, all the things that law school is really good at and and good for. Um, you know, eventually I wanted to to see what that was about for myself.
0: All right. Well, it sounds to me like innovation is probably a bit in the blood, a family tradition there.
1: It is definitely in the blood. Yeah. No, I, I can count uh, uh, innumerable, uh, aunts and uncles, and my grandfather and, and great uncle were attorneys. And, and um, you know, back at a time when maybe not a lot of women were, but now in, in the, you know, my parents' generation, uh, many uh, aunts and uncles both. And, and even in my generation, there's a, a pretty good handful of us that have pursued careers in the law.
0: So when you were a kid, did, you didn't necessarily see yourself as being a lawyer. It was like, what, what, what did you want to be?
1: You know, that's a good question. I I don't know that I ever had like the strong view of, um, uh, you know, I want to be an astronaut or a fireman or any of of the sort of traditional kid things. Uh, you know, I've I've always been, I think, fairly intellectually curious. um You know, I I tend to do you know, even through my sort of academic scholastic career, I. I tended to do very well in those classes that either had subject matters who were interesting to me or teachers who were engaged with the subject matter in a way that was interesting to me. Um, You know, in in college, I had a a slightly better than 3.0 average, but it was made up of a combination of A's and C's because I was really good at getting A's in the classes that I engaged with. And and those that left me behind, I kind of. you know, di- didn't uh, pursue quite as much. So I'm, I, uh, you know, I I've, I've followed a lot of different paths, you know, e- even as a kid, um, you know, I, I was always interested in doing the things that were interesting to me at the time. And I continue who, to do that.
0: So who was your great, great grandfather? The one that was. Uh... Uh,
1: his, his name was Lloyd Wright, Lloyd Earl Wright, uh, which he obviously uh, uh, frequently gets confused with, I... with the architect. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he oh, yeah. was an, an, an he, ABA he, president, go ahead. I'm sorry. He had to use the E too, right? He had to use the E. Yeah. And, and, and I actually have, uh, I, I have a cousin who is Lloyd, uh, Lloyd the fourth and now, uh, uh, I guess, a a first cousin once removed, uh, who is Lloyd the fifth. So they're, they're continuing that, um, you know, down, down my uncle's generation.
0: All right. Well, I, I guess one thing maybe to to address is like you don't for, for people calling in today to listen to you about, mm-hmm. uh, talk about these new approaches and 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 for myself I mean for you this is family tradition but you don't have to have that right you, it doesn't you, you, you to be to get into these ways of thinking about a process that we're going to talk about you don't have to to have mm-hmm. that in the blood right
1: no, not at all. And, you know, I mean, one of the things that I think about, and I, I didn't actually know my great grandfather, he, he passed away when I was very young. But, um, you know, from what I know of him and, and talking with other members of my family, you know, he wouldn't recognize modern legal practice, right? He was part of a big firm in Los Angeles, or he, you know, he ran a big firm um, in Los Angeles, which meant that they had like eight attorneys. And that was big. Um, and you know, as many, uh, uh, sort of support staff as not, and, you know, and obviously there were things like, uh, you know, the, the act of typing correspondence was, was a much more complicated thing to do back then, um, with carbon paper and all the rest. But, um, still, I think it was a very, uh, it was a very different time. It was a very different profession and industry where there was a lot of one-to-one, um, engagement. And, you know, and, and maybe one of the other differences that, that's changed over time, um, which again, you know, is, is maybe part of the, the, the benefit of just having had this family history, but, you know, uh, talking with my my great uncle or my aunts and uncles um, and, and parents, cousins, and all the rest, right? For a large part of their practice, it was very normal um, in society for people to have a person who they thought of as their lawyer, right and you know that's my lawyer in the same vein as that's my doctor or my dentist or um you know any other profession and and i think for the most part that's a notion that doesn't truly exist in for the majority of society anymore right that's that's become a luxury item for only the um the the uppermost reaches of society and and um it's interesting how the practice has evolved um to sort of support those people more, maybe more so. And it's part of what excites me so much about group legal and, and you know, the, the great work and important work that's going on. Um, I think at that level of, of practice and the, the types of innovations that are possible is that it allows people to have an everyday connection with lawyers, again, which is something that I think we're really have been lacking in society
0: yeah I think that's a real interesting point about the change um change in the air right now uh, in the legal industry is that it is it is towards reestablishing that um that relationship and Definitely. um so in terms of of you know the innovation that's in the air and you know the the this approach um that you're um making lawyers aware of and, yeah, you know, we we you know, I use the term lean and agile before, but if you can tell me a little bit about w- what it is that that you do.
1: Yeah, so, you know, at, at their core, I would say they are uh, you know, lean, lean and agile both are problem-solving methodologies, right? And as lawyers, we are taught um a, a couple of sets of of Problem solving methodologies right IRAC is a problem solving sort of framework, at least, Um, you know, the, the, um, the Socratic method is a, is a teaching methodology, at least. Um, And, and I think, you know, the specific set of tools that we use in uh, learning the law and how to apply the law. Uh, things like adherence to precedent and stare decisis, right? Th- those are problem-solving methodologies. You you analyze a problem, and then you look to the past and you see how those sorts of problems have been solved before. Um, or if you don't know exactly how that problem's been solved before, then you try to make an argument for the you know the the, the next best um, analog or or you know closest thing to it. Um, And that's a very useful problem solving methodology when your goal is stability and the stability of society. But when your goal is to sort of be innovative, right, to innovate either in terms of business model or perhaps product development or gaining market shares, um, looking to the past doesn't give you any sort of an advantage in, in that area. And so, you know, starting um, t- to get a little bit into the specifics and I'll try not to go too deep because it's, uh, you know, uh, there's lots of places you can look to sort of study up. But but lean, uh, lean specifically uh, comes from lean manufacturing, uh, which uh, ultimately comes from Toyota. Um, there are, are elements of it that go that go back even further. Um but the 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 basic story, as I understand it, and the the genesis of what Toyota considers to be the Toyota production system, but the rest of the world calls lean, um, is that in post-war Japan uh, in the, the 40s and 50s, your industry was basically decimated, right? I mean, the, the, the whole country was in very tough shape. And so, whereas in the United States, we had say a- automotive manufacturing that was very much built on the Henry Ford assembly line, As reinforced by the nearly limitless demand for manufacturing that the war brought on, uh, we were very good at producing the same thing over and over and over again. Um, Toyota didn't have that luxury because there wasn't demand for any one of the same things. And so Toyota had to be able to build um, sort of different types of products for different customers um, in a way that was still. Uh, efficient enough that they could compete in the marketplace, and what—and uh, again, my my understanding of it—the the thing that's I guess most interesting to me about lean is that they ultimately came to understand that efficiency itself is sort of a terrible goal, and the the way that I sometimes describe it is that uh you know imagine the world again me you know, be, be back in my great grandfather's days or even before right the uh a, a world before the electric drill right and and craftspeople had to make uh holes in things in order to build furniture or or houses or other things uh using a manual drill and um someone who was skilled in how to build furniture and how to uh to to do the things that they're doing when the electric gr- drill came along they were able to be far more efficient at that particular piece of the process right so you put you, you put that tool in the hand of someone who knows what they're doing and you can build more good things um more frequently but if you put an electric drill in the hands of a novice or or someone who doesn't know what they're doing all they do is put more holes in more things more quickly Right, And, and so you know, what, what Toyota came to understand is that the actual, what, what most of us think of efficiency, right? If we set out to simply improve a small piece of the process, um, we actually could wind up doing more harm than good. And so the, the Toyota, the, the ultimate definition of efficiency from Toyota's standpoint had to do more with quality than it did with speed. And so what what Toyota and and other, you know, many, many lean manufacturers since them have come to learn is that, uh, well, and and I'll frame this in in terms of the problem, right? So one of the problems with General Motors and Chrysler and Ford and and all the American car makers back in the post-war era is that they were really good at rolling things off the assembly line. But if there was something wrong with one of their processes, right, if a particular wiring harness didn't line up right or a you know a a nut got cross-threaded or whatever by virtue of the assembly line that flaw would also get perpetuated in every machine that they built and every car that rolled off the the line and um the original in in the original response was well we'll just have a fleet of mechanics at the end of the assembly line and we'll we'll fix these things as they come off because what we can't stop the assembly line that's that would be too inefficient. Um, and, and then eventually they stopped doing even that, or at least didn't do it as much, which gave rise to you know the, the Lemon Laws of the, of the 60s and 70s. But that's another story. Um, Toyota said, no, Like, well, we think there's a different way. So um, in a Toyota production system, every worker on the, the assembly line or on the shop floor or wherever is actually empowered to stop the entire process when they encounter a defect. So if somebody notices, hey, this, you know, again, this wiring machine or this paint station or this uh, bolt threader is is producing a problem in a Toyota production system, they're encouraged to stop the line. And instead of, you know, as you might imagine in a traditional uh, manufacturing plant, like instead of management freaking out about, oh my gosh, we're losing all this efficiency, in a Toyota production system that celebrated because they, oh, there, we, we get to now eliminate a flaw and we will bring our best people to the floor. um, right at that moment to try to solve this problem and fix that defect now, so that it never gets perpetuated through the machine again. And what they learned over time is, is that by doing that and by making small improvements to their process right and in some cases it was in in uh reference to an actual defect uh and after they sort of got really good at eliminating defects it became more in the context of finding opportunity oh you know uh, again maybe uh this uh particular you know bolt uh, uh assembly or you know wiring assembly um it doesn't have a problem anymore, but we could be doing it more quickly. And so let's actually spend some time and effort and investment in understanding enough about the system so that again, over time, number one, by eliminating defects and then number two, by by very slowly but intentionally improving things along the way, they got far more efficient than their American counterparts at the time.
0: I would think it would also give rise to uh, the workers having a greater sense of ownership in what they're doing and and you know being a part of the process so that when they contribute that it's taken note of by management and so there's not as much of a disconnect um you know and by taking that ownership they are much more productive and you have a better product in the end too
1: a- absolutely yeah and and it's there's there's a little bit of a yin and yang in there i think and i'm i'm probably misusing that uh uh Metaphor, but you know, it it you you have to empower your workers. You have to give them a sense of empowerment, um, in order to have the confidence and safety that oh, by you know, by pulling that what they call the Andon cord. Um, and and for those of you who are into to podcasts and radio shows, there's a great This American Life episode about the Numi plant N U M M I, um, in California, which was a a joint venture between I think it's Toyota and General Motors, uh, and how it was sort of General Motors' first foray. They basically invited Toyota into this joint venture to fix their most problematic plant. And the, the, the story of This American Life does a great job of the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's just very interesting to hear all of the problems that existed and how the Toyota uh, management was able to use their principles behind, again, what they think of as a Toyota production system um, to not overnight right and 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 that's part of it right the the in effect the, the term that they use uh at toyota is kaizen and it, as best as i understand it the translation for kaizen is continuous incremental improvement mm-hmm. um and and i sometimes talk about it you know in working with lawyers and, and other business people it's um it's a little bit like the difference between um betting on uh, the entire stock market, investing in an index fund and investing on individual stocks, um, right? You might have a great big bang return if you can spot the next big thing and, and make an investment in your process improvement, um, right? Bringing it back to the the law firm context. Um, you, know, you might say, okay, great, I'm gonna go buy this piece of software or I'm going to, Uh, invest in this uh, new employee or anything else. And by doing that, I think I'm going to get 15, 20, 30% more uh, efficiency, Mm -hmm. Um, but that's a bet, right? And and there's risk associated with that. And sort of by putting all your chips in that particular basket, um, it may pay off, but you also run the risk that it won't pay off and that you will lose that investment. Whereas, you know, the index fund approach or, or even, you know, investing in a like a a, you know, a, a CD or a savings account, it's a little bit more like compounding interest. So if you can get yourself in the mindset that uh, I'm going to improve a little thing this month and then I'm going to measure and I'm going to see if that improvement paid off and um, and if it did, then I'm going to learn from that. And I'm going to try to make a similar improvement in this other area next month, and then another one the month after that. And if you can get a 1% improvement consistently month over month and over the course of a year, those improvements compound like interest. And so you may have that 15 you know, to 20% overall improvement, but the investments you've made along the way are much smaller, more calculated, um, and maybe more likely to succeed because they're set over a strong you know a smaller time horizon and we're much better at trying to predict the future in short-term increments than long-term increments.
0: Okay, so I think I have a better handle on what what this lean approach is and and how it's been used um you know in manufacturing and with Toyota but what what are do you have like a concrete example of how maybe you've used this with a with a client or or just even just a, a story of how this gets applied within for for a for a lawyer or within a law firm where this kind of approach is um, is implemented, that it could actually lead to some improvements in in, in uh, the practice of law.
1: Yeah. Well. So um, before I do that, let me talk a little bit about agile because I think at least in yeah. in my career I've come to understand that, um, and and there is a lot of of stuff out in the world that is around lean for lawyers. But um, one of the things that I've experienced, because lean comes from the manufacturing industry and, and not to take anything away from those that are doing lean in, in other environments, there's something almost inherently visual about the way that it works. So um, parts of lean have to do with inventory and and you can see bottlenecks that exist in your manufacturing workflow by virtue of the inventory that starts to pile up at the bottleneck. And one of the problems with knowledge work generally is that we don't actually see our work very much, right? It mostly exists either sort of between our ears or on our devices. And so we don't get that same visual sense. And so uh, Agile, without, again, going too deep into the history, which I probably did with Lean, The the agile is a relatively new methodology. It comes out of the software industry. Um, there's an official agile manifesto. The the birth of which happened in 2001. So we can sort of date it. Um, there are agile things that were happening before that. Obviously, it, you know, it didn't just come you know fully formed out of anybody's head. Um, but really, the, that Agile Manifesto, and you can visit it at AgileManifesto.org, by the way, and I, I won't go into the specific pieces of it, but um, the the pieces of the Agile Manifesto or the, the Agile approach in general, um, first and foremost was about taking some of the learnings from Lean around smaller horizons. And, you know, software at the time, again, this is, you know, the, through the 80s and 90s, had very much a a long form planning methodology where, you know, you didn't have a new instance of windows every year, right. Or Microsoft word or QuickBooks or whatever, right. It might've taken two or three years for a new version of a big, a big piece of software to come out. And so the process around developing that software was very cumbersome and it involved this sort of very heavy planning lift in the early stages and figuring out what sorts of, uh, features that customers wanted or thought they wanted, and then negotiating with your developers and, and everybody else to say, okay, well, how long is it going to take and what sorts of resources do you need? And, and at the end of it would be this very large long form project plan, which you know, at the time was just called project management. And we, we now think of that type of a project plan as a waterfall approach because of the Gantt charts that, that are used to, um, to monitor them, like when when they all go well, the Gantt chart kind of looks like a nice, easy waterfall graph um, that gently flows towards your desired goal. But in reality, when you're doing that sort of long form planning, planning really becomes a form of guessing. And there, there's several things that happen along the way that cause problems and cause deadlines to shift or scope to creep or assumptions that were made about what a customer wanted in, 1995 were actually far different from what the customer actually wanted in 1998, Uh, and so Agile originally was a a, a way to um, really take all those and 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 get to a more iterative approach for releasing software. And so the you know again the the metaphor the the thing that I point out for people is that if you look at you know, for, for those of us who are old enough to remember the old Windows releases or QuickBooks releases or that this these long form things where you, know, you had to like get this new thing and you would wait years and years and years, maybe even for bug fixes, um, compared with today when, you know, the apps on your mobile device, uh, many of them update every week, right? So Facebook or Spotify or Google, um, right? They're constantly releasing little, bits of code into their software product. Um, and that's just reflective of the agile approach, right? So it's very much a continuous delivery, continuous improvement paradigm, um, which which gets its basis from lean. But the other thing, and, the, and and part of what I wanted to get into agile before I answered your last question, and I, I can stop. Did you have a specific question about that?
0: No, no, I was just gonna say that it sounds like the older approaches were more like um, like a big ship trying to make course corrections, and then you weren't even sure about how to change the direction in which your big ship is moving. And it's hard to do. And yeah. these newer, newer approaches make that ship a little more nimble in terms of making change over time.
1: So I, I would say that's exactly right. And the other thing that I would add to that metaphor is not, not only is the ship hard to turn, but also the port is moving. So the, you know, port has been... the, the port is moving. So the port is like, what do your customers want? What do your clients want? Oh. And the, right. So when you're trying to steer a product or a service towards delivering value for your customers and, and at the end of the day, right, that is the goal of all of these methodologies is to deliver maximum value to your customer, right? And and I will use customer instead of client. Um, although for legal, they're often interchangeable. I. I can I can get into the nuance between the difference, but we won't we won't do that now. Um, Right. So it's all about delivering value to the customer. And then, of course, capturing some portion of that value back for yourself in terms of profit. Right. And that's that's the fundamental equation for any successful business. Um, But in this day and age, in part because of what people have come to expect due to the rapid speed of technology change and adoption and, and the dissemination of information and all the rest, right? It's really challenging. Like what a customer wanted last year may be substantially different from what they want this year. And so you know, the the agile approach is much better suited to, um, through these quick releases, getting to where the customer is rather than getting to where you originally planned to be because those aren't the same thing. Right.
0: So we're in the legal industry more like, more still like the big ship that's hard to turn and not the the more agile or, you know. Well,
1: yeah, and here's why, because let me, let, me, let me comment on that and then I'll let you finish. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to over talk and, and not finish, but because this problem solving methodology that we're taught in law school, is very based on tradition and precedent and you know basically respecting those things that have already been decided that's a really like that that's a feature when you're talking about stability in the rule of law and and stability in society but as a business approach it's really dangerous and the the problem or one of the problems that i have have come to believe exists is that because that's the only problem solving methodology that many lawyers ever learn, right? Especially those that sort of go straight through from K to J D, um they they um try to apply that problem solving methodology to the wrong sets of problems. So business problems are uh, the the starry decision adherence to precedent is a uh of a terrible way to manage a business right i mean there there are elements of it that can hold true for a while um but eventually it's going to break down right eventually someone Mm -hmm. is going to innovate you out of that business if all you ever do is what you've always done Mm -hmm. uh and so i think getting to that this more agile approach and understanding you know and again part of sort of my personal mission is bringing awareness and education and experience with these different sorts of problem solving methodologies to lawyers, but not in their capacity as lawyers, attorneys for their clients, in their capacity as business people trying to basically meet the needs of their customers. And I think mm-hmm. the problem solving tool set that you need for the latter is different than the the sort of tool set that you need for the former. Um, although I think the other right. healthy side effect, um, right, and, and many of the lawyers I've worked with and you know who have become more agile uh, also get better at solving their clients' problems because they you know uh, it's not like they're in that situation where they have a hammer therefore everything's a nail um, right they actually do have some tools for problem solving problems that maybe aren't even legal problems for their customers but um, or their clients but if they can be helpful they're still adding value and that will that will help their their overall relationship.
0: So, what are some concrete steps that lawyers and law firms um, can take to become more like that nimble ship?
1: Yeah. So, um, to finish my 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 piece about agile, and I think this is a a good segue for it. The other thing that the agile revolution did um, was sort of bring to modern practice a tool that's called the Kanban board. Um, and some people say Kanban. It kind of depends on what, what part of the country you're in. Uh, but it's K-A-N-B-A-N. Um, and again, it's a Japanese word. And, and Kanban, what it actually translates to is sign. Um, and it, I actually find it, you know, in sort of a noodly way. Uh, Ken Grady, who is um, sort of the one of the the founding people behind Saifarth Shah's lean program, Saifarth lean. Uh, he's now teaching at Michigan State Law School um and uh he talks about like the original kanbans were actually shingles for businesses in in japan so there's sort of a uh he's he's identified this very interesting connection between hanging a kanban or you know using a kanban in japan and hanging a shingle in our uh sort of english uh parlance but um In any event, um, right, a Kanban is a card, right? So in in lean practice and in agile practice, Kanban is a card. And how it's wound up working in agile businesses in the software industry is that when you have a feature request, right, for a a piece of software or a product or whatever, right, it's hard to, there, there is no physical representation of that feature. So in the agile world, they use mostly sticky notes, although sometimes three by five cards. And they will write information about that feature request on the sticky note and then they'll put it on a wall and then on that that wall will be organized it, through a series of columns in the steps that are required to produce that um sort of update to the software and the the wall itself and the the board itself right a, a wall with columns on it winds up representing workflow stages in um, a knowledge work manufacturing process, right? If if I can torture the, uh, the metaphor a little bit. And the cards themselves, the sticky notes or the three by five cards represent the actual work orders, the work requests from clients. And once you have the work requests uh, visible and in the context of a board that's visible, all of a sudden you're in a situation where you can see your overall process and also the work that's in that process, even though it's knowledge work, right? And, and the card is, it's a representation of the work, right? It's not the work itself, but it's, it's sort of, um, you know, I compare it to a legal fiction, right? It's a, it's a fiction that works. And what winds up happening when you can take a step back and actually see your work, Visibly and visually, then your ability to process that work starts uh, being able to harness all sorts of different neural pathways that we associate with vision you know human pathways that we associate with vision as opposed to sort of uh, the text based um, uh, uh, processing that lawyers or are, are more comfortable with they're more used to mm-hmm. and so Getting to your question about what what can lawyers do um, to start to harness these tools, uh, the thing that I usually recommend is you can build a very basic Kanban board um, as early as today or maybe tomorrow morning to help manage your personal day-to-day workload uh, in a way that I argue uh, and and I, I usually see. Um, and again, these these are um, I don't try to force this on anybody, right? So I'm 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 offering tools that maybe people aren't aware of. But I think that the Kanban board is far superior to the to-do list or the checklist as far as keeping track of your tasks on a day-to-day basis. And so um
0: is, is there like a piece of software or something where you could try
1: it out? <laughs> um yeah. So uh the answer is yes. And 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 um the number of pieces of software is um, growing probably by the day. And, um, while I like some of them better than others, and I, and I'll name a few of them in a minute. Um, the thing that I would encourage everybody to do is build a board on your actual wall with sticky notes or three by five cards or something before you go try to build it into software. Um, and there are several reasons for that. So, um, Number one, it's it's faster and cheaper. Even though there is free software out there that will do this, um, it still is. uh, There's no learning curve. Everyone knows how to use a a pen and a sticky note, Um, and so even with the simplest free software, there still is a learning curve to get yourself up and running. Um, Number two, if you're drawing lines on a whiteboard, and you know this is another one of my sort of I was gonna say pet peeves, but maybe it's more one one of my missions is is that I think every lawyer in the world should have at least a three foot by five foot whiteboard in their office. Um, I, personally, I think four foot four feet by six is better. Um, you know, we've got plenty of things on our walls that may or may not help us um, do do work for our clients or manage things, but. Um, the dearth of whiteboards in the legal industry relative to the <laughs> rest of the business world is, is sort of shocking to me. Yeah. Um, but even if you don't have a whiteboard, you actually don't need one. So sticky notes will stick to most walls. It kind of depends on how much orange peel you have, or whether you have textured wallpaper, you might need some uh, scotch tape to help them stick. Um, but you can very easily draw, uh, a, a, you know, either some lines or you don't even need physical lines, but blue painters tape is great and re- relatively inexpensive. Um, you can create a, a very simple Kanban board in less than five minutes. And and, um,
0: and just to be clear, Kanban, it's spelled K-A-N-B-A-N, right?
1: Yes, that's right. Um, and so... You know, in building the board, so so let me describe a basic board, right? And, and I'll talk a little bit about the difference between a board and a to-do list. Um, so a, a typical to-do list is binary, right? There, it is a list of all the things that you know you need to do. Um, and then when you've actually finished one of those things, you can either check the box or scratch it off your list and it becomes done. But what a to-do list doesn't capture. Is those things that you've started to work on but haven't yet finished. And where a Kanban board is different is that it actually has three states of working rather than just two. So it's not the binary, either it's done or undone. You actually have three columns. So the the column on the far left um, of your most basic Kanban board is to do. Uh, The next column in the middle is doing. So these are the things that are actually in flight. And then your final column on the board is done. And this is just the most basic board. There, there are lots and lots of ways of building it out from there. But for getting started, that's enough. And so what I often recommend to lawyers is start just with, you know, what are the things that you need to do today or this afternoon? And, you know, draw two lines on the board, which gives you three columns. Or, you, you know, you don't even know if you can imagine the lines. You don't even necessarily need the tape there. Um, But for each thing that you need to do today, write it on a sticky note. Um, I like to encourage people to use verbs when they do that Um, and put it in that to-do column. And then as you go through your day and you're actually working on things, you move your to-do items into doing. And then here's one one of the tricks and part of what helps it work so well is you try really hard to only have one thing in your doing column at once. Mm. And the, the reason behind that, right, and, and at risk of going on a, a, a further tangent, um, there's a lot of brain science, and you may have seen, you know, uh, uh, multitasking as being largely debunked uh, as a successful methodology for productivity. Um, you know m- monotasking or unitasking is is sort of uh the the new vogue and, and there's a lot of brain science behind it so basically what what brain science and i won 't get all the right uh, accreditation correct although there's a um uh some some daniel pink and and other uh, sure, uh, shankar Vidatam some other people have done some some uh writing about it um, but the brain science is clear that we don't actually you know, it, it, unless it is doing a very simple task um, that is almost autonomous, right? So we can walk and chew gum, we can walk and talk, but we can't actually carry more than one complex thing in our head at a time. And so what's actually happen, happening is your brain is engaging in sort of a rapid switching back and forth between the two. Uh, and that switching actually, switching between the two actually takes up more sort of energy and attention and time than just working on a single thing does. And in fact, um, uh, the Daniel Kahneman book, thinking fast and slow is one of the ones. And, um, you know, he, he won a Nobel prize for his research in this area. And one of the studies that, that Kahneman did, as I understand it, is, uh, just going for having a grad student go for a walk around campus with, um, you know, an undergrad and have a regular conversation as they're walking. And then at some point, the graduate student would spring a complex problem on his, you know, companion and uh, almost inevitably when they had to, you know, sort of think about that complex problem, the undergraduate student would stop walking. So they wouldn't even really walk and think at the same time. Interesting. Um, so that's a tangent, but in any event, getting back to the, the Agile approach and the Kanban approach, um, you, I really try to encourage people to force themselves into this paradigm that once you bring something into the doing column, you're making a commitment you know, to yourself, but also to your customer for that item, that I'm going to work that thing until it is done. And if you sort of tell yourself, I'm not allowed to bring another thing out of to-do into doing until I free up space, until I give you know give myself the capacity to actually do that work, um, then this sort of very interesting thing happens. And and one of the if, if you read up on the Kanban methodology, one of the sort of uh, uh, original thinkers behind the the Kanban method uh, uses the phrase "start less to finish more." And what winds up happening is that by unitasking or or monotasking, you will finish that one thing much more quickly than you would have had you tried to juggle it as part of many different tasks. Uh, And then the same is true for the next thing and the same is true for the next thing. And what people find is that uh, if they can hold themselves to that monotasking, which is it's an impossible ideal, right? I mean, we, we have too many things competing for our time and attention to ever truly achieve it. Um, most of the time, but if we work towards that ideal, uh, what we'll find is that we're better at delivering things more quickly, um, and meeting our commitments more often. Um, and ultimately we'll be more productive through our day. So that's, well, that's the basic structure.
0: I think that is, I think that's a great tool. I'm actually excited to, to try that out. And, um, but in 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 interest of the just the time that we have left, I want to, yeah. you know, we we've talked a little. You've talked um, a little about lean um, and what it means, and agile and what it means, and a little bit about the complexities of being a big ship and having, you know, difficulty doing course corrections and how we become a more nimble one. And so one tool that all of us can can use to learn more about that and how to process things and be. Um, better in terms of the quantity and quality of tasks we do is this, uh, Kanban board. Um, I guess, do you, do you have, um, is there one, I guess piece of advice that you would want to leave the lawyers with today about something to think about for their practice using this method?
1: Um, boy, uh, you know, um, run some experiments um you know the the thing that that i bump up against a lot um with lawyers is like i i you know i, I want to try this but i don't know where to start or um you know i'm not sure how this will fit or or it you know if i do if I do this one thing, it becomes a slippery slope, and then eventually I'm going to have to do all these other things. And you know, there's there's some validity in that, but you know, at, at some point you sort of have to turn off that issue spotting thing that we that we learn in law school, and sort of just try something. And and when I say try something, I don't mean try things willy nilly. So you know, one of the other things that that really comes out of the that. The agile methodology, but also some others like lean startup and design thinking, um, is that you, when you run these experiments, when you try something, you should support your experiment with data, right? I mean, and, and that's the the core of the scientific method. But you you have a hypothesis, right? So I think that um, by trying a Kanban board, I will be more productive on a day to day basis, or I'll have fewer things fall through the cracks, or Um, I'll just feel better about not losing track of my to-do items, which is, which is another benefit that people, um, talk about, but give yourself something that you can measure to find out. So, you know, set a goal and say, okay, by using Kanban for a week, um, you know, I think I can, um increase my revenue slightly, or I can um, handle more matters, or I can process more phone calls, or I can uh, maybe not work on Saturday uh, for a change, what, whatever it might be. But, you know, set a goal, a, a specific goal, right? I'm, I'm big on SMART goals, and SMART's an acronym for uh, it was specific, measurable, um, uh, attainable, as I... I there's different sorry, there are different uh, ways of describing the acronym, but specific, measurable, uh, uh, attainable, measurable, and time-bound um, is the the rough, smart goal. Right. Um, but um, you know, just try some experiments, measure the outcome, see what you learn from it, and then, based on that new learning, run the next most obvious experiment. And if you get in that habit of trying little things on a frequent basis then you get into that compound interest uh realm of process improvement um rather than the than the big bang thing right um don't don't think that oh there's some magic piece of software that you know if i buy a subscription for you know 30 or 50 or 100 bucks a month um it's going to make my life so much better it it might i mean i'm not saying don't do it but Like run even that experiment run within the context of articulate a hypothesis. What do you think is going to improve and then measure your progress against that hypothesis and see what you learn. Cause that learning is actually the more important piece.
0: I think that's some really fantastic advice uh, that, you know, we as lawyers, we should experiment and, and measure the results to make sure that we're going in the right direction. So, um, John, I, I just want to say thank you, you know, I, I love getting to know you better, learning more about the lean and natural approaches and, and how they can be applied to the practice of law, why they're important, how to implement them in our uh, daily practice. Um, I'd like to ask guests uh, one question that's kind of off the beaten path uh, before we wrap up and sure. that's, you know, what's a place on your bucket list that you've never visited before but that you'd like to and why?
1: boy um you know it's funny i i am I'm, I'm a father to uh two young boys their their birthdays are coming up so they're almost 8 and almost 11 and and frankly my bucket list is very much entwined with theirs right now and i i coach both of their soccer teams and they would love nothing more than to watch one of the 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 A league uh soccer games in europe at some point so i i'd have to say you know, right now, for where I am with my life and and the the time I spend with my boys, I would love to be able to take them to a Premier League game or a Bundesliga game or you know go go do something um, that is showing those players at the pinnacle of their uh, of of their professions. Right? We we go to as many Portland Timbers games uh, as we can, and and those are great and fun, and and uh, uh, we will we are Rose City till I die all the way, but. Um, going and seeing the actual sort of genuine, um, the, the cream of the crop, I think, would be a great thing to go do.
0: Well, that sounds fantastic. Um, I, I, I just wanna thank you again for sharing your time and thoughts today. How can people keep in touch with you?
1: Yeah, so um, uh, I go by the name, the Agile Attorney, uh, and, and if you Google Agile Attorney, you should find me. It's also uh, both the .com and the .net um, will get to me. Uh, I actually have, and, and and I will fully acknowledge the irony uh, in it, I have a half-finished book uh, on Lean Pub called Kanban for Lawyers um, that uh, will walk you through the steps of creating a basic Kanban board, and it will walk you through the steps of starting to expand that Kanban board, uh, and then it just ends. And I apologize for that, and I have every intention of getting back to it, but Uh, various things of life have happened and I've, I've sort of let that project languish for a while, but I do plan on getting back to it soon. Um, so that would be another way, uh, to get in touch with me. I tweet, I'm at J E grant three on Twitter. Um, uh, I'm hoping to be able to uh, make it to the, the GLSA, um, uh, event in, um, New Orleans this spring. I think we're still figuring out the details around that, but I know Ramon's on the call. I don't mean to put you on the spot. Uh, but we will hopefully we'll get that worked out uh, shortly. Um, uh, yeah, so th- those are the best ways. Um, I do want to say just one thing about GLSA, and and I think uh, you mentioned that I that I chair the futures task force of the Oregon Bar, and and um, the the point of that or the purpose of that ta- task force is very much built around access to justice and access to legal services, and a lot of my personal passion comes from figuring out ways to scale the good work that we do to be able to help more people in a way that makes good business sense for us as well. And I think the work that you know, l- lawyers who are doing group legal type work um, are really on the front lines of that. So I love talking about this stuff. Um, if you go to uh, the Agile Attorney website, there's ways to get in touch with me. Uh, I would love to just have a conversation with anyone about their practice. What are the struggles you're having? Um, and you know, eventually, yes, I do do some paid coaching and consulting around it. But um, but the first call is definitely free, and I just love learning and, and talking to people that are on the ground solving the legal problems of real people day in and day out. So please call me.
0: Well, thank you, John, and thank you for that invitation to our membership. I'm sure they appreciate it, and I want to thank you again for being my guest today, and for everyone who's called in. Um, Thank you all for attending our teleconference, The Agile and Lean Approach to the Practice of Law with John E. Grant. Um, Again, this is Tom Martin. I want to, again, thank GLSA for sponsoring. Remember, joining GLSA is just a good way for solos and small firms to increase their business. And you can check us out at glsaonline.org. Thanks again, John.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was fun.
0: All right. We'll see you next month everyone. Bye.